again one, one more Sunday, and then uh, tomorrow we actually leave on our trip out to Chicago, and we'll be in Chicago for the month. I'll be speaking at the Warrenville Bible Chapel there for a couple of weeks, and then we'll be at uh, the assembly of Palos Hills. Now, Palos Hills is always a very special assembly to us, as is Warrenville. Warrenville is special to us because that's where Larry Keating, our our middle daughter's husband uh, grew up, and that's where he got his training and upbringing as a, as a young man. And now the Lord has, of course, led them overseas, and they're working in the Philippines. And so we appreciate your prayers for them. Um, and then Palos Hills is special to us because while we were at uh, Bible school out in Chicago, uh, during those years, we would go over to Palos Hills. Palos Hills used to be about a 45-minute drive away from Emmaus, where we were at school, but we chose to do so. We chose to drive over there because there were no other Emmaus kids that would drive 45 minutes to go to church. And so we were able to be there and work with them and have a, have a ministry among them uh, during that time. And we've always, always remembered them from back in the 70s. And every time we're out in Chicago, uh, we are asked to come and speak at Palos Hills. And we certainly always look forward to that. And the other benefit, of course, of going to Chicago is I get to see four more of our grandchildren. And that's always the blessing when you get to go to Chicago. Daniel is still at Trinity. He's still finishing up his doctorate. He's finished all his class work. And now he just has his, um, just has his uh, thesis to write. He's in the process of doing that. So he, I'm sure he would appreciate your prayers. But one of the real blessings that we have going out, we're le- actually leaving a week earlier than we had planned, because we were invited to go to Ken Fleming's 90th birthday party in Dubuque, Iowa. Now, Ken Fleming, of course, some of you know, he was a missionary in Africa for a number of years. And then he, his brother, Pete Fleming, was one of the martyrs in Ecuador. He, uh, he was a professor at Emmaus for a number of years running the mission program there. And he was also at, he would always be at MOP to, to work with the, uh, missionary orientation program for those who are interested in going on in missions, and he turns 90. <laughs> He's already turned 90, actually, and we're having going up for his birthday party. So that, that is a, a blessing, a blessing to us. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to continue our thoughts from last week and, and uh, move through into chapter 13. I have a little disclaimer to, to bring to you this morning. As I was thinking about this last week, um, as I was preparing uh, notes and preparing our, my thoughts for this morning, I, I realized I should probably should give a little disclaimer. And this disclaimer is, I know that I have been repeating myself. I know that I have been expressing thoughts I have expressed before. It's not because I'm losing my short-term memory. It's not because I'm losing that. It's because these are the things that the Lord has been laying on my heart over and over and over again as I've been studying these different portions from the Word of God. So I have been looking at the day of the Lord. I've been looking about the coming kingdom. I've been looking about judgment. And I'm sorry that I've had these similar thoughts going through my mind over the, over the weeks. And so I, you, may have, you may have heard some things that I have said before. And that's okay. Just kind of pack them in the back of your mind. Maybe you don't even remember, which is usually what usually the case. You know, a speaker speaks and you only remember about three or four sentences that he said during his message. So perhaps you didn't even notice, but I noticed. And I just want you to be aware that I am aware of that. And that this passage that we're in points to some of those same things again. And that is why 
you're hearing some of the same words. As you know from last week, we have been, I have been doing a personal study through the book of Luke when I have free time, when I'm not studying for other, other messages and in other portions for the last couple of years. Been very much enjoying it and looking at it in a little different way that I have in the past. And so that is why we've ended up in this portion of the Word of God for these two weeks, because my mind has been focused here over the last few weeks. Not that I have been in this passage for two years. I have been working toward this passage, and so um, this is a passage that has been going through my mind over the last couple of weeks. So let's read it together in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading as we did last week at verse 49. The Lord Jesus says, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Verse 51 of Luke chapter 12. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two. Two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Then he also said to the multitude, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth But how is it you do not discern this time? Yes, and why even yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you into prison, I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you paid the very last might. Chapter 13, there were present at that time some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or of the eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look, For these three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize once again that without the help of Thy Spirit, 
Nothing of eternal value will be spoken today. Your Word has gone forth, and we know that your Spirit will always take your Word and apply it to the hearts of your people. And now we pray as we look at it, and we seek to discover and understand lessons that perhaps we can learn from it that your Spirit would also lead. Speak to our hearts. We pray that nothing will be said that will be in any error, but that all might bring glory and honor to Thee. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Last week we began by speaking of those watershed moments in our lives. Those watershed moments to which we can all look back and see how our lives were changed because of that encounter. We said last week that some of those encounters may be very, very difficult and heart-rending to remember, but they changed us. They changed us. And then we recalled that the premier, if I can use that term, watershed moment in our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ was that moment when we came to know Him. And He changed us and made us new creations in Christ. That one moment in time when we came to know Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God came to dwell within us and we have been changed forevermore. And because of that change, we have also a hope. And because of that change, we have purpose in our lives that perhaps we did not have before. Maybe some of you came to know Christ when you were older. Maybe some of you came to know Christ when you were young, as I did. Yet, it was that one watershed moment in our life that changed everything in our lives forever. Changed everything in our lives forever. And then we also recognized last week that that one decision can bring separation, can bring division, and can even sometimes bring death to those who make it. In the land in which we lived, oftentimes we don't face those things. We may in our families face those things. We may in our families, the moment we came to know Christ, find fathers and mothers, find brothers and sisters who reject you, speak evil of you now because you've made this choice and your life has been changed. But we also remembered from last week that how some, in some countries around this world, when they make Christ their Savior, it can cost them their very lives. And oftentimes their lives at the hands of their mothers and fathers who will put them to death because they have left the religion of their fathers and have chosen to follow Christ. Remember we mentioned last week, and I don't want to keep repeating lest you think my short-term memory has indeed gone, we saw last week, didn't we? Remember that, we remember that song that was written by that Indian man who came out of, a, out of a background of Hinduism and had come to follow Christ and that meant that his whole family rejected him. And he wrote that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. 
and it cost him a great deal to follow Jesus. But, my brothers and sisters, look what he has gained. Look what he has gained. We who have walked with Christ, we who have lived with him, see the value, see the wonder of knowing him that we could not have known without him. So, as we approach this text again this morning, we want to remember just a couple of things in passing. This might be a little sidebar, but we're going to kind of move through it quickly. You remember that Luke, when he was writing this gospel, he was targeting an audience that was primarily Gentile in nature. So he was writing this, gathering all his information, for he was not a witness of these things. He did not see them himself. He was gathering the information from the other apostles. He was gathering information from those who were eyewitnesses who had seen all of these things happening. And he's putting them all together in an organized way in order that he might show forth as others had done in a written form what had happened. What surely has happened among us. And so he's proclaiming through these writings, using the Jewish context, using the context of where those stories actually took place in order to express to a Gentile audience who would be reading this epistle, this uh, gospel of the things that have impacted the world. The things that have impacted not only Judaism, but the world. And then he will flow into the, into the acts of the apostles. And the thought flow will continue through. And then he becomes an eyewitness of the things that are happening. In many instances in the book of Acts. Now before moving on, let's tie up some loose dangling threads from our last time. Last time we spoke of the division that the message of Christ brings. And that it divides even in those most intimate of relationships that we read of here. Even those intimate relationships of a father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and so on. It divides those relationships. Now, likely our Lord Jesus Christ, when He was teaching His disciples at this time, He's sitting down as the rabbis would do. You know, the Greek philosophers, they would wander around and talk and motion with their hands and do all kinds of things as they spoke. The rabbis would sit and they're gathered around them in a semi-circle in front of them would be their disciples sitting at, their, at His feet, listening to the words of the rabbi, listening to the words of the teacher. And here was the greatest rabbi, if you will, of all. The very Son of God. God incarnate. Sitting teaching His disciples. And they're crowding in around the disciples as He's teaching them. Is this multitude of people who have also come to hear the words, straining to listen to everything He's saying because He's speaking to the disciples. He's teaching probably in a softer tone as He's teaching His disciples. And the crowd who was out there are straining to hear what He's teaching. What is He telling them? What is He saying to them? And every once in a while, He will lift up His eyes and He'll look to the crowd and speak to them. And teach them 
things that He wants them to hear. Now, we briefly spoke of the fire of judgment that was coming. That the Lord Jesus said He wished it was already kindled. There was a fire of judgment that was coming. Now, this judgment would divide. That fire of judgment was coming. And He seems to be speaking to His disciples about this. Not to the crowd as a whole, but speaking to His disciples. Then He added that bit of change of direction. And He said, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Now, do you notice the contrast? In the first, He desires that it begin. Oh, how I wish that it was already kindled. And then he goes, but I'm distressed because I have a baptism. I'm hemmed in. I am, I am, and the word distressed has this idea of, of holding together. He's holding together. He has this, it has this idea of pressing in from every side. We can actually use the word constrained. I'm constrained. You remember at the beginning of this time when he was going toward Jerusalem, he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. He was constrained to go where he knew he would lay down his life for mankind, for the sins of the world. So the Lord Jesus is distressed, compressed on all sides. He's being moving toward this time of this baptism, this death that He would give for the sins of the world. And that death would begin this process of dividing, of dividing. The Lord Jesus was to die. A terrible death. Because sin is terrible. He was to bear in His own body the sins of the world for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the Galileans, for the sins of the Judeans, for the sins of the Gentile nations. He was to offer up His life. For the sins of the world. For God so loved the world. And then we enter into, don't we? We were singing about it this morning. We enter into what we might term the difficult doctrine of love. Because it's not quite as simple as sometimes we sing about or read about or in in books that we might read. For the doctrine of the love of God is a difficult doctrine. Now, it's easy for us to, in our Western culture, we, when we think of love, we think of it in one way. And it's usually pretty syrupy. Does God love you? Oh, absolutely, without question. Will the wrath of God fall on a Christ-rejecting world? Will it? Does He love them? The difficult doctrine. Of the love of God. For wrath will come. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Oh, how wonderful it is to be those who are saved. Are you saved this morning? How wonderful it is to be those who are saved, who have come to know Christ as our personal Savior and our Lord, and we have an assurance within us We have a hope within us. We have an assurance that when He comes, we will go. And we will not face the wrath of God. And we enjoy 
His love. And we enjoy the expression of His love. And our Lord has provided propitiation for the world. Propitiation is available for the world. The world has been made savable by the finished work of Christ on the cross. And all who would place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus would have their sins forgiven and be saved from the wrath to come. And if they would not believe, they will pay the penalty themselves. But that decision would cost something. That decision would cost something. Division. Separation. Rejection. Count the cost. (laughs) Count the cost. We won't go there. Count the cost. The cost is rejection. Division, both in this age, and there will be division in the ages to come. But we are accepted in Christ our Lord. And those who would live righteously, those who would live for the glory of God, will suffer persecution. You suffer persecution. Do we suffer? The time was right upon those who were listening to the words of our Lord. The time was right upon them. In their very midst was the Messiah that they had been praying for and hoping for and longing to see. The one who would deliver them. He was right in their midst. And they were hearing His words. And as as John the Baptist would speak, the axe was laid to the root of the tree. The axe was laid to the root of the tree. Will it be cut down? You do not know, the Lord says to these people. You do not know the time of the coming judgment. So He says to the multitude, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, for the Son of Man, the Messiah, is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's telling this to the people of Israel as He's sitting among them. Speaking to these Jewish men and women who were waiting for the Messiah. I am here. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Gird yourself up. Be ready because you do not know the hour when judgment will come. You do not know the hour. Be ready. Be ready. He appears then to lift up His voice. Now that we've tied those loose ends together. He lifts up His voice now. And He looks out over the multitude. And He says to the multitude, whenever you see a cloud and it's coming in from the west, You say there's rain coming. And so it is. That cloud raising out of the west, out of the Mediterranean, often brought water, often brought rain, much desired rain. And when they saw it coming, they knew rain was coming. And then He says to them, and when the south wind blows and you see it rustling the trees and the south wind blows, you know that the south 
Wind is going to bring heat with it. And they have seasons there in Israel when it blows for a long time and it's really hot. You know that when that south wind begins to blow, you know a hot time is coming. You know that. And so it is. And then he, he's got his voice raised now and he's speaking to the, to the multitude and he says to them, Hypocrites! We all love being called hypocrites, don't we? But he speaks to the crowd. You are hypocrites. You are hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky. You can discern the face of the earth. But how is it you do not discern this time which is upon you? Here I am. Here I am. What will you do with me? Here I am. Then he tells them in that in that parable. To come, he talks about it. Well, actually, it's actually more than a parable, but it has this idea of when you're going off now, and you have something has something against you, and he's taking you to the judge. Settle your accounts. Get it done now. Settle your accounts now. And so he's speaking to the people of Israel, and he's saying the Messiah is here. The time of the judgment is coming. Settle your accounts. Get right before God. Do not wait. Do not delay. Because if you delay and you're brought before the judge, you will pay. You will pay. Get it right now. Here am I. Here I am. The Messiah is here in your midst. I will suffer. I have a baptism to be baptized with. But will you see and understand the time in which you live? Will you grasp it? Will you understand it? Settle your accounts before the day of judgment. I suppose we could make application there, couldn't we? Even though he's speaking to the people of Israel here, I think we can make application to us today as well, can't we? Oh, men and women, settle your accounts with God. The Christ has come. Salvation is available to all who will believe. Will you believe and settle your accounts? Or will you wait to settle them before a great white throne? Then it will forever be too late. Settle your accounts with God. Settle them now before it is too late. Settle your accounts with God before it is too late. Then the storyline shifts. And this is an interesting shift. The storyline shifts now. And in chapter 13, they were present there among them. It says at this season, it has this idea at this time, when he was, when he was preaching and teaching, there, there was present these who said to him, Lord, did you hear what happened to those Galileans? Did you hear what happened? The judgment of God fell on them. Did you hear what happened? They were there sacrificing 
So, which means they would have been in the temple area, right? They would have been in the area of the temple. Last week we talked about how they had the Tower of Antonio that was there. You would look down over the temple area. Evidently, we don't know anything about this story, really, beyond what we have here. Nowhere else is it recorded. Evidently, there was a stir that was caused. Whether these Galileans caused it or something else happened, but it began to be stirred in the temple courts. And these were coming, offering their sacrifices, and the Romans came in and killed them. And their blood mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. And, you know, the the title of this whole message today, I never really shared titles of my message, but I put them there for myself. It is drawing conclusions based on limited understanding. That was the title of my message this morning. These drew the conclusions. They said, God has judged those Galileans who were wicked and had sinned greatly, and as they were offering up their sacrifices, God brought judgment down on them. And the Lord says to them, the Lord says to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? No. I tell you, no. No. No, they're not. But unless you repent, you will perish too. You will perish too. And then the Lord adds another story that they didn't bring up, that He brings up. You remember those 18 on whom the the tower fell? The Tower of Siloam, how do you say that? Siloam, fell, and they, they died in Jerusalem. Do you remember that, he said? And I suppose you think, too, that those poor Jews were, somehow they sinned, somehow they, they did some awful, awful sin, and the judgment of God fell down upon them. And he says, no, I tell you, I tell you. And he doesn't say that wasn't true, by the way. But he says, he says no, I tell you something, though. I'll tell you, no. No, they weren't greater sinners than others. And unless you repent, you will likewise perish, he tells them. Get your accounts right with God. Do not assume that I am somehow a little bit better than others. He ties these groups together. They die quickly, unexpectedly, and tragically. Both groups, right? Both groups died quickly, unexpectedly, and tragically. Both groups died at a place where they probably felt pretty safe. Who among the Galileans going down to offer sacrifices at the temple, that place of holiness, that place where God resides, and they're going to offer up their sacrifices? That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? They're coming to offer up their sacrifices, and there it is that the judgment falls, and the Romans come. Those people in Jerusalem there, when the, when the tower fell, the tower was a part of their security system, wasn't it? Here they were leaning right up against those things which were supposed to secure them, and it fell down on them. And they perished. It fell down on them, and they died. So here they were, in this place where they could have felt, or should have felt, safe and secure, but they quickly fell upon them. Death! Now it's easy to see how this connects with what Jesus t- 
taught them, what Jesus had just been teaching, it flows out of the teaching of the coming judgment. These who brought this example to the Lord supposed to give clarity to his teaching on the judgment that was at hand. They're bringing this clarity. Let me help you, Lord. Let me help you with this clarity. Let me clear it up for you. You see, look what happened to those Galileans. See, that was judgment. And they weren't ready for that judgment. And see, so they died. And they must have been great sinners because the judgment came. And the Lord turns it on them and says, Nope. No. You will die the same way. Because sin is sin is sin. And all of us are responsible. All will pay. Unless you give yourself to Christ and accept the payment that He has made. On our behalf. They had not discerned the time correctly. They were drawing conclusions based on limited understanding of the purpose of God. They seemed quick to apply the spiritual truth themselves. They said, let me apply this truth. And quickly began to assess the situation and draw their conclusions. Those Galileans were deserving of God's judgment. Remember, Isaiah speaks of the same thing. We saw him, we deemed him bruised and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was bruised for our transgression. We saw him first as God is bringing judgment on that man. And so he was. But it was for our sin and not his own. That the judgment fell. We have not faced this judgment, they would say. We have not faced this kind of judgment. Therefore, we must be holier and we must be better than they were. We must be better than they were. And Jesus quickly corrects their mistaken view by showing them that we are all sinners. People play the same smug game today. Play the same smug game today. And what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. When Joyce had her cancer and was needing surgery, she got a, an email from a lady. And I know I've shared this with you before. She got an email from a lady that said, It is because there is bitterness in your life that you have that cancer. And if you tell me which side it is on, I can tell you whether it's a male or a female that you have this bitterness against. Imagine. I don't have cancer. I'm better than they are. So you must have something wrong. And it must be that sin in your life that has caused you to have this terrible disease. It must be because you have sin in your life. And conclusions are drawn based on a limited understanding of the truth. I have to pause there for a moment and catch myself. The inference, of course, was that you've sinned. You've sinned. We need to be guarding ourselves as well. That we do not look down our noses at those who sin and are sinning when we are the righteous ones. 
We need to be guarding against that. Ourselves. We need to guard ourselves against such aloofness. But we are to remind ourselves always, but for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God, there go I. And to utter those words, not with a pitched nose, oh, but for the grace of God, there go I. I am more righteous than they are. No. But a recognition that I too was a lost sinner on my way to hell without the intervention of God in Christ Jesus and without His grace, I could never have been saved. And by His grace, I am saved through faith. And it's not of myself. Not of myself. The modern humanist will likewise look at these disasters, these two, and notice that they happen to both good people, while others who are much worse people don't face them. And they come to the conclusion, there is no God. How can that possibly be? Again, we interject the difficult doctrine of the love of God. Some of us have absorbed a form of theology with all the answers. We formed a theology that has all the answers. We can offer standard answers, pat answers, to every problem that comes along. Especially if the problem is affecting someone else. We have the answers. We can give you the pat answers. And our dogmatism gives such assurance. Our systematic theology is so well articulated that we leave precious little to mystery and awe of the unknown. It's true, isn't it? Are we guilty of that? And then when we we are faced with the same sort of catastrophic hardship in our own life, we discover such pat answers offer little comfort. Don't they? Job was comforted by those men who came before they opened their mouth. Once they opened their mouth, the comfort was gone. They had the answers. They drew conclusions based on limited understanding of what was really going on. Of what really was going on. Christianity, I'm quoting here, Christianity that is nothing but certainties quickly becomes haughty, arrogant, rigid, unbending, and no longer is allowed to feel the pain and the defeat. Such dogmatism no longer allows for weeping and discouragement, seeing it somehow as unspiritual, unfaithful, and evil. And it just is not so. It just is not so. I suppose the older I get, the more I experience, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I understand how little I understand. 
the more I understand how little I understand. I am less dogmatic now than I used to be in my youth. And Joyce will tell you that is very true. I am less dogmatic now than I was in my youth. Not so quick to be critical. Less anxious to judge others who struggle and are suffering having experienced the same. More and more as the day goes, days go by, I find myself relating to the lines of a song. It's a new song. Not new, new. New to me because I'm an old timer and I sing the old songs all the time. Blessed be your name. When I'm found in the desert plain, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You give, you take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. I have known times of great blessing from the hands of the Lord to whom I look. I have known times of great blessing and I have known times of gut-wrenching disappointment. I've known times of gut-wrenching disappointment, both allowed by God. Those gut-wrenching times when I turn to God and say, Why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? Am I not your servant? Have I not been doing this and doing that and doing the next thing? (laughs) Gut-wrenching times. Drawing conclusions without understanding. Drawing conclusions without understanding. I've known those times. Times when all the cliches, all the pat answers offer little comfort. And all I can do is return to the Master, drop my sword and cry for just a while. Just cry in His presence. And say, I just don't understand why, Lord. I don't understand. Then you pick up your sword. And you pick up your sword. And you realize afresh that I cannot always draw conclusions based on my limited understanding. And must walk by faith and trust regardless. It's where we all are. These men and women were drawing conclusions based on limited understanding. We need to guard ourselves against the same thing. Now, it is true that God will allow hard times and tragedies to come into the lives of nations and people for particular sins. We know that's true. Because of the sins of Israel, God brought judgment. Because they would not repent and their hearts were hard. He brought judgment on the nation of Israel. Job, on the other hand, is the counterpart, isn't he? He's the counterpart to that. He was a righteous man. Living before the Lord righteously. And suddenly, disaster struck. And everything, everything The wealth that he had, which he could let go of very easily. But it also touched his family and his children. And everything was wiped away. Everything was taken away from him. And he could look up 
Say, the Lord gave it to me and He's taken it away and I will bless His name. Do you think that was easy for Job to do? Do you think it was easy for him? No! His heart was in aching pain. He had just gotten kicked in the gut. And he looked to God and said, I know that you give. I know you took away. It is of you. But I will bless your name. Because I will not judge based on my limited understanding. But then he went on to do so, didn't he? Then he went on to do so and began to accuse God. Let me meet with you. I want to talk with you. Because we got some things to talk about. This wasn't right. What you did was not right. And you notice, don't you, when you get to the end of the book of Job, that God never explains to Job why he did it. He doesn't tell Job at the end, well, you know what happened was we had a, you know, the enemy came in and, and I was using you as an example to others about how great you were, you know, and that you would not curse me and, and you would not turn your back on me, even though I took everything away from you. He never told him that. He never told him that. What did he do? He revealed himself to him and said, here I am. Look at me. Look at me. Now tell me. Now tell me how unjust I am. And he hid his face. And sometimes we have to do the same, don't we? When we look in the face of God and say, Why, God? Why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? And the Lord will humble our heart to say, You are the Almighty God. And whether you ever tell me why is none of my business. (laughs) I will love you and I will serve you. One day, maybe he will tell us. One day, maybe he will reveal. Maybe the wonder of the majesty of the Almighty God. Not all atrocities, not all sickness, not all cancers are directly related to a person or specific sins. But in an overarching way, we recognize that sin is the cause of it all. Sin is the cause of it all. And we are all guilty sinners. Now, if we begin to compare ourselves with other sinners, we may feel rather good about ourselves. But the difference will only be in degrees. Won't it? It'll only be in degrees. Do you see that? Do you see what so-and-so did? Man, he is a wicked sinner. Boy, that just made me feel good because I'm not quite so bad. It's only degrees. And we are all sinners. The difference becomes one of grace. That's the only difference, isn't there, between us and them? It's grace. We will not perish because of His grace toward us. He gave us what we did not deserve. He saved us. He tells them, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That is a true statement. Is it not? That is a true statement. Unless we turn to Christ and accept His free gift of salvation through faith, we would all perish. The tragedy that fell on these Galileans should not be viewed as an opportunity to judge those who died at the hand of Pilate as being great sinners, nor the 18 that died as being greater sinners. 
Instead, it should be perceived as a warning to all sinners. To all. That judgment is coming. And then we end. And I've got three minutes to end. And that's plenty of time. Because you're not, none of you are going to look at your watches. None of you are going to look at the clock. So that these three minutes can be extended just a little bit if need be. And I've just used my two minutes of the three. But we get to the fig tree. And this is a beautiful, beautiful parable that comes right following this teaching that the Lord has just given to them. After this teaching, he says, he spoke this parable. He says, a man planted a fig tree in his garden, in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it. He planted a fig tree. Fig tree, of course, we recognize those of us, those of you who have studied the Word of God for a few years, you recognize this fig tree was a, can be a picture of Israel. So he planted this fig tree. For three years he came looking for fruit. How long was our Lord's ministry? Three years. For three years, the Lord was here. For three years. The Messiah walked among them and taught them and healed their sick and raised the dead and gave various signs declaring who He indeed was. Three years He walked among them. And for three years, there was no fruit being born in this nation. And ultimately, they would reject Him. And He would be put to death. And we recognize that too as in the sovereignty of God. Wonder of wonders. And then the gardener comes along and he says, you know, let's just hold off a little bit. I know the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And I know it hasn't borne fruit during this whole time, these whole three years. But let me dig around it a little. Let me put some fertilizer down. Let me see if there's still hope for this tree. And if not, then cut it down. And we know that ultimately the people of Israel rejected their Messiah. Crucified Him and said, we will not have this man. We will not have Him. We will not accept Him. We will not take Him. And within a generation, generation and a half, generation, the nation of Israel would be cut down. And in 70 A.D., Titus with his armies would come and level the city of Jerusalem. But what is this a picture of? It's a picture of the grace of God. Isn't it? Take making application now. Drawing application we certainly see the grace of God. Has He been speaking in your life? Has He been working in your life? And He's been, by the Spirit of God, speaking to you, speaking to your heart of your need of salvation, of your need of repentance, of your need of Christ. And over and over again, the Spirit of God speaks. And the axes lay to the root of the tree. And death, physical death, is around the corner. And God does not say, cut it down now. He says, give it more time. Give it more time. Give it more time. But the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Oh, what a gracious God we have. 
Oh, what a wonderful Savior we serve. Were it not for the grace of God, the patient grace of God in our lives, where would we be? Where would we be? Father, we give You thanks. We give You thanks for Your Son. Oh, Father, there's so much of Your grace, so much of Your sovereignty, so much of Your majesty that we still cannot comprehend. But this I know, that I am now a son of the living God because I've placed my faith in the finished work of Thy Son. As have many in this room, Lord. Many in this room know You and You know them. But Father, if there be one in this room this morning who has never placed their faith in You, may they settle their accounts with You before the time is gone. So I commit it to Thee, asking Your blessing upon Thy Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.